I don't heal here. I wanted to share something with you that the Lord had spoken to me at the beginning of the year. He had said, deep calls unto deep. And when I began to ask him what he meant by that, he said, the depths of me calls out to the depths of me and you. And this is such a powerful statement. When we begin to understand that when he says this to us, that deep calls unto deep, that he's inviting us to really tap into the realms of him that he's placed on the inside of us from the foundations of the earth. When I studied this out in the Word, it was a, and I knew it was an invitation to really intimately know the Lord, to really go after Him and pursue Him in a passionate way, and to understand that there's purpose on the inside of us, that He's placed things on the inside of us that are of Himself. And when we tap into those things through prayer, through worship, through reading the Word, through all the different facets, that we're beginning to tap into those depths in Him that we've yet to encounter truly. In Ezekiel 47, we see that Ezekiel is led by a man from the east temple gate and that there's water coming out from the threshold of this door. And as they go further away from the temple, the further they get, the deeper the water gets. And almost a mile out away from the temple gate, Ezekiel is standing in waist deep water. And I began to see this picture internally of the feet standing right on the edge of a shelf. And as it all it took was one step and all of a sudden Ezekiel was going to be in the deep. Because when he stepped out after that, he was in the deep and it says he was swimming, that he couldn't stand in the water. And so in the deep is where we begin to see the big fish. We see all the things that are full in the ocean that are teeming, the water's teeming with these things. And the Lord began to tell me, he said, you know, I'm inviting my people to go to the deep. I'm inviting them to go into waters that have yet been explored and encountered in my presence, facets of my glory. Because we know as we go deeper into natural water that we begin to encounter things that we've yet to ever see before, strange, unusual things. And when we get out into deep water, a lot of times there's wild rapids that are coming. And so I want to prophesy and encourage you today. There's some of you that may be standing on the riverbank. You may be standing in shallow water that maybe you're just ankle deep. And you see people going out to the deep and you go, I really wish I could go out there. Well, what's stopping you from going out into the deep? Because that's God's invitation to you is because you were made for the deep. There's depths of himself that he's placed in you. And when you begin to tap into those things, you become intimate with the Lord. You begin to know him, not just know about him, but you begin to know him. And when we know him, that's when we become, I have began to have identity and intimacy. That was a thing that the Lord had spoken to me as well. When we begin to know him, we begin to become intimate with him and then we become to understand what our true identity in Christ really entails. So I encourage you today, don't just stand on the riverbank, don't just stand in the shallow water and just be comfortable there. Yes, going to the deep is going to cost you something, it's going to make you uncomfortable, it's unfamiliar, it's uncharted waters, but he's worth it. Jesus is worth it every time when we begin to step out into the depths because we want to know him in a deep and personal way. So let's go to the deep together, let's go into those waters that we've yet to explore and to encounter in his presence and let's just see what his glory has for us. Amen. God bless it was June 20th, 2017, the debut broadcast of a prophetic collaboration initiated by Ryan Lestrange was aired locally and on social media. One of the contributors was yours truly, and the first word I felt led to share was about an alleged vision and conversation I had with God about Ezekiel 47. Earlier that year, I had written a blog post that was picked up by Charisma Magazine and Charisma News about this claimed prophetic word about going to the deep. I relished the quote laying claim to a contortion on Psalm 42, 7 that I had ascribed to God saying to me, the depths of me cause out to the depths of me within you. It was also in 2017 that I self-published a 40-day prophetic devotional centered around personal journal entries. And you guessed it, I ascribed to God speaking to me in the secret place. 
That devotional is no longer available for good reason. And here's why, as I'll share with you in this one excerpt that talks again about going to the deep. The deeper we go, the more that is revealed about God. The deeper we go, the more unknown facets become known to us about his presence. I heard him say, the deep is not for the timid. It is for those who are fearless and ready to inhabit the secret place, that place reserved for peculiar people. The deep is not a place to hide, but it is a place to shine with radiance of my presence, not seen in the shallow waters. It is a choice to go to the deep. Deep cries out to deep. We were made for the depths of God. He cries out to the part of us that resounds the crashing waves of his glory. Whatever that means. I have no idea what that means. I went on to say, plunging into the deep will be the portal to his glory, revival of his bride, and a passion that cannot be quenched. And that was a journal entry from January 5th of 2014. And then I went on to tag on some scriptures to try to make it legitimate and with a prayer saying, I hear you calling to the depths of yourself within me, God, and I choose to answer your call. You were calling me to come out of my comfort zone and into uncharted waters in your presence. I am diving to the deep because I want you. I was made for the deep. I will not stand in the shallows any longer. I'm going where you are and you are in the deep. From time to time, I pull out one of these old writings to critique And to expose, because I believe that anyone, including the former false prophet that was Don Hill, is not immune from scrutiny and judging righteously according to scripture. What is the deep? I'm finding myself asking that question now as I'm reading my own nonsensical writing. What is the deep? Because it's not clear. And now listening and reading this word, I find myself frustrated with myself back then and the pseudo profundity oozing out of the words I spoke And I wish I could talk some sense into that false prophet five years ago. It seems appropriate and fitting that a good R.C. Sproul clip would have served that false prophet some good. What's wrong with you people? All jokes aside, we will take a look at this word today, which was removed from my blog shortly after coming out of this movement in 2019. But it is still available, unfortunately, on Charisma. And we will put it to the test of Scripture and see which one prevails in the richness of understanding and true prophecy. Spoiler alert, the Bible prevails. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Sick Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Sick Scribe. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate, and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits, and then led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand cubits and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other, And he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. 
And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea. From Engedi to Inaglam, it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt." And on the banks on both sides of the river there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for healing. What I just read to you was the passage from Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1 through 12. And this was the focus of my very vague blog post I wrote in 2017. Much of what I wrote focused on establishing deeper intimacy with Christ and having a mystical fellowship with God. Now reading these things, I have so many questions that cannot be answered because of the vagary of my speech. And if you've heard me on this podcast before talk about the prophetic movement, which is what I was part of in the New Apostolic Reformation, then you'll know that I've made these references before about the prophetic ministry. And the question that it should be asked of, when is a prophetic word not authoritative? When does God not speak authoritatively? What you hear a lot these days that's termed prophetic are a lot of these vague general words such as these. That's why it's hard to test them a lot of times because they're so vague and they're so general, they could apply to anyone, and they're mystical sounding, and they appeal to people's senses and to their emotions of wanting to believe that God is speaking directly to you and giving you some vague general word to give to somebody. But what I focused on mainly in this movement when I did quote prophesy was this type of speech, this mystical type way of talking, Gnostic practices of this hidden knowledge, this secret knowledge, and also focusing on intimacy with Christ and the the secret things that we could find in fellowshipping with the Lord. Again, whatever that means, you know, I, I can't explain it to you now. I thought I could then, but I was deceived. The title of this episode seemed fitting because what I said was quite shallow and lacking in true biblical understanding, as you're going to hear in just a moment as I read the blog post to you. And I want to look at this portion of scripture that I just read in more detail. But before we do that, let's look at what I wrote in 2017. This is off Charisma's website, uh, timestamped March 19th of 2017 at 9 a.m., And they titled it, Prophetic Word. I hear the Lord say, go to the deep. Whatever the deep is, again, what is the deep? (laughs) I don't think we're going to get a good understanding of that from this blog post, but let's read it. Who in their right mind walks a mile out into a river, not knowing how wide the river runs or how deep it goes? It's the same as walking into the ocean. I had found myself in the depths of Ezekiel 47 a week ago, wondering about the distance he traveled out into the river from the temple, and I asked him to help me figure it out. Ezekiel was walking out about a mile out and can't see how wide or how deep it is, essentially. What I realize now is I miss the point of Ezekiel 47. I missed the entire point of it and that it had nothing to do with this mystical or Gnostic type of understanding and trying to read something into it more than what it was saying. It says quite a bit, and as we're going to see and and what, uh, what some people interpret it to mean, and I think that you'll find it helpful today, I hope at least. The blog post goes on. You may be asking yourself, what is out in the deep and what difference does it make if I go there? I would say to you, God is out in the deep. Again, what does that even mean? You may be standing ankle deep in the river, but you were made for the deep. 
Psalm 42.7 says, Deep calls to deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Now, I want to stop for just a second. I've talked about Psalm 42 in times past, and just so it helps us give uh, a little bit more perspective of this, if you've read Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, you see that there are laments in there that the psalmist is reminding themselves of their desire to be close to God. They're cast down in their soul because of what's going on in their life. They've Their tears have been their food, and and as they continue to go on, they're, they're lamenting and they're reminding themselves, encouraging themselves in the Lord while they are having this lament. And in Psalm 42, 7, when it says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. There are some that believe that this verse is referring to the fact that God sends the waves and the breakers and that this psalmist that is lamenting and is having these difficulties during these trying times is is understanding that they are in this place of peril, it seems, or despair, and that God is actually sovereign in the midst of all of this while they're in their lament, but they're at the same time, they're being encouraged in the Lord to not be cast down in their soul and to remember from where their salvation comes, that their salvation is found in God. So just as a side note, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are are, um, encouraging and really helpful in times when you may be struggling or if there's uh, depression you're dealing with. Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are a really good place for you to go in scripture to be encouraged in the Lord and to renew your mind with the word. But at any rate, I took Psalm 42.7 to mean something else and to, and to make it mean that the depths of God was calling out to the depths of God within us. And that's a really scary thing now for me to say because it's almost trying to acknowledge some deity within us, but that's not what I meant at the time. But I think someone could certainly read that into a statement like that. It tends to try to come across as very profound and, and this deep thought, but it has nothing to do with Psalm 42, 7. But that's, again, not the focus today. The, so, fo- the focus is actually Ezekiel 47. So let's keep reading on with some of these mystical platitudes that I was having as we talk about the deep. And let me just remind you again, this word is not deep, my friend. It's, it's Gnostic as all get out as we continue to read. I said the deep is uncomfortable and it will ask more of you than you ask of yourself. There is water in the deep that rages and flows in the rapids. These are the wild things where God manifests glorious facets of himself, which at the time um, I was likely uh, reflecting on the fact of you know, where I went to church, there were a lot of manifestations, people that would engage in these services and in the manifestations. That's what I viewed as these glorious facets of himself and that people that were willing to go into these realms with God and that they were willing to, to search these things, these hidden things out and to have these mystical, these experiences with God, these supernatural manifestations and encounters with God. That's what going to the deep really was. Uh, There are depths yet to be encountered in the deep where he resides. There are creatures and big fish yet to be encountered. Did you know that 95% or more of the ocean is unexplored? That has nothing to do with any of this, but I thought it did. So I, I 
decided to go ahead and hitch that wagon to this blog post. So here it goes. Exploration of the ocean and its depths is expensive, time-consuming, and difficult. The result is that a small percentage is known by us. It is the same with the depths of God. It is much easier to stand in the shallows and to admire the deeper waters. It is easier to dismiss the call of God because it is too difficult. Many people forsake the call to go deeper into Him because the cost is too great and is more time than they want to invest. The result is a shallow relationship where only a small percentage is interpreted about him, while the deeper facets are abandoned and misunderstood. That is more in tune with Gnosticism, trying to find these secret, these hidden meanings, um, the secret knowledge that you have that only God could give you. And a lot of times what this does is that it creates classes of those who will desire the deeper things of God. Whatever, again, whatever that means, the deep things of God. I mean, you can make that definition as broad as you want, um, and but it's not very deep. It's very shallow. And those who will not. So it makes these classes of, oh, those that will actually in, engage in the in these services, and they'll want to have these manifestations, and they want to hear the voice of God for themselves, and they want to have these deeper encounters, whereas there are those that do not that they are saying, well, you know, we need to just stick to scripture and we just need to uh, do what the word tells us to do. And we don't need to try to hear the voice of God for ourselves. And those of us that have been in that movement, we know that people that say such things, as I now say, that you are looked at, you look down upon those people because they just don't really want God. They're in the shallow waters. Those are the ankle deep people, right? Those are the people that don't want to go into the depths of God and they are afraid or they're just religious. And so this is what we do. We label these and there's hidden knowledge and secret knowledge and privileged knowledge that's only found in the secret place. And none of us can tell you where the secret place is. That is why it is secret. So let me keep reading further under a heading I had called the depths of his living water. Ezekiel was not standing on the ocean floor. He was led out into water that originated from the temple door, becoming a river. He started out in ankle-deep water. After walking over half a mile, he was in knee-deep water. I was amazed to discover that Ezekiel stood in waist-deep water at almost a mile out into the width of the river from where he started. Past that point, the deep awaited him. It was a river that could not be passed through. The man leading Ezekiel told him that everything would live where this river went and I reference Ezekiel 47, verse 9. This river would supply fresh water, also known as living water, to the Dead Sea. Where life was once unsustainable, the living water would change the environment. The deep would be teeming with fish of all kinds, and fishermen would gather them in their nets. Trees would grow on the riverbanks, bearing much fruit because of the living water flowing from the sanctuary. Leaves of healing would grow on these trees. That's in Ezekiel 47, verses 9 through 12. This is a picture of the deep, I said, and this environment transpires when we take a drink from the well of salvation that is Jesus. These rivers are deep and they are living water. And I reference John seven thirty seven through 39. Now, I just told you about Ezekiel 47 and some of the things I said in there were true when I reference what the verses said. But does that help you to understand more of what it means? Have you ever wondered what Ezekiel 47, what some of the, the Bible scholars have interpreted that to mean? And they have um, looked at some of these passages to try to see what's going on. Well, let's take a look at some of the commentaries to have a better understanding of what this passage of Scripture is describing. And in my actual study of Ezekiel 47, I found this to be far more profound and more beautiful than my claimed prophetic rambling ever could have been. 
Now, when I look in my study Bible at Ezekiel 47, they had this to say about um, this passage in verses 1 through 12. So I wanted to read this last part of this in the study notes to you. In the last part of verses 6 through 12 in Ezekiel 47, that my ESV study Bible says this aspect of the vision coheres with chapter 34 verses 25 through 31 of Ezekiel in affirming that renewal is not just moral and does not just come to people, but affects the entire natural world. Here, however, the water brings life not just to the world, but to that part of it least capable of sustaining life. The influence of this river is found in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 8, and some of my other study Bibles reference this as well, along with some of the commentaries. But it goes on to say it extends into the New Testament as well, most pointedly in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 2, near the climax of John's vision of the new heaven, earth, and city. So when we go through this here in just a minute, and we look at a couple of commentaries and what they have to say, I hope that this sheds some light on this passage for you and that you can see the gross error in this uh, quote prophetic word and I use that term loosely this is not a prophetic word that I wrote this is just it's nonsense uh, and just it's just ramblings and so I want to point you back to scripture today and to to highlight what some of these commentaries may say to give a little bit better perspective on it and so we can have a little bit a grasp of a better understanding. As I've mentioned before in other podcasts, I have um, several different commentaries. I'm just going to pull from two of them today. And I found some information on Ligonier's site that was very interesting and very helpful in understanding this further as well. So I want to look at the commentary first from from the Moody commentary. And so when I looked it up for Ezekiel 47, first I backed up a little bit because when you go to Ezekiel 40, you find that um, there are some beliefs as far as the, the temple that's mentioned in Ezekiel 40 and what's being portrayed here in this prophetic vision that Ezekiel is having. And this particular commentary, the Moody commentary, so the view they adopted was that Ezekiel predicted a literal, physical, millennial temple. And the detailed description they say of the millennial temple is important because the temple was, was the, the visible symbol of God's presence among his people. The prelude to Israel's judgment began when God's glory departed from Solomon's temple. This was followed by Nebuchadnezzar's destruction of it. Although the temple was rebuilt, they said the presence of the Lord did not reside in the Holy of Holies. That temple was destroyed by the Romans, just as Messiah Jesus had predicted. A high point of Israel's restoration as a nation will come when God's glory re-enters the new temple in Jerusalem. And they also said the new temple will become the visible reminder of Israel's relationship to God through his new covenant. Since God gave detailed instructions for building the tabernacle to accompany his inauguration of the Mosaic Covenant, it is not unusual that he would also supply detailed plans for his new center of worship to accompany the full implementation of the new covenant. This temple will be the focal point for the visible manifestation of Israel's new relationship with her God. So I backed up just a little bit to give some context there, but in chapters 40 and 41, and we're seeing the, the rebuilding of the temple. Their interpretation was a millennial understanding of it. As we go on, we see the chambers in the inner court um, and the outer walls of the temple in chapter 42 of Ezekiel. And as we go on into chapter 22, we see a new service of worship that's being established in chapters 44 through 46. So then when we get to chapter 46, 
47, in their commentary on Ezekiel 47, these are some of the things that they said about the river from the temple. The Moody commentary says, during the millennium, there will be a change in the topography of Israel when the millennial temple will be the source of life-giving water. There is nothing in the passage to suggest anything other than a literal river, even though many think this refers only symbolically to the blessings that flow from God's presence. The inclusion of details such as the fishermen and the salty swamps and marshes indicate realism, not allegory. These details become meaningless if the passage is only symbolic of spiritual blessing. In the millennium, this river will be another visible reminder of God's presence and blessing as the prophets foretold. And they again cross-reference Zechariah chapter 14, verse 8. There's that from the Moody commentary. And then I wanted to read to you from the uh, Matthew Henry commentary. Appreciated what Matthew Henry had to say in some aspects of this because he alluded more to the presentation of the gospel when you're seeing the water run from the temple. So he also cross-referenced Zechariah 14.8. Um, when it's talking about the living waters that shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them towards the former sea and half of them towards the hinder sea. And he said that this is plainly a reference to us into John's vision of a pure river of water of life in Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. Matthew Henry said it seems to represent the glory and joy which are grace perfected. This seems to represent the grace and joy which are glory begun. Most interpreters agree that these waters signify the gospel of Christ, which went forth from Jerusalem and spread itself into the countries about, and the gifts and powers of the Holy Ghost which accompanied it, and by virtue of it, which spread far and produced strange and blessed effects." He says, Ezekiel had walked around the house again and again, and yet did not till now take notice of those waters. For God makes known his mind and will to his people, not all at once, but by degrees. And so he goes on to expound on this, and he points out quite often in the commentary, I'm not going to read all of this, but he points out a lot in here that it's pointing back to Christ. He says where verse one, where waters issued out from the threshold of the house eastward and from under the right side of the house. And again, they ran out to the right side, signifying that from Zion should go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He referenced Isaiah chapter two, verse three. Matthew Henry said, there it was that the spirit was poured out upon the apostles and endued them with the gift of tongues that they might carry these waters to all nations in the temple. First, they were to stand and preach the words of this life. They must preach the gospel to all nations, but must begin at Jerusalem. But that is not all. Christ is the temple. He is the door. From him, those living waters flow out of his pierced side. It is the water that he gives us that is the well of water which springs up. And it is by believing in him that we receive from him the rivers of living water. And this spoke of in, by the Spirit in John seven thirty eight and 39. And there's a lot of cross-references that he makes in his commentary. But he um, essentially alludes to the fact that uh, this is pointing back to the gospel being presented. And it talks about the progress and increase of the waters that they went forth eastward towards the east country, for so they were directed. And he says, the prophet and his guide followed the stream as it ran down from the holy mountains. And when they had followed it about a thousand cubits, they went over across it to try the depth of it. And it was to the ankles. And again, about a thousand cubits is uh, 1,750 feet, or it's about a third of a mile or three point uh, three miles. So, and so that kind of gives you per- some perspective. And he talks about they walked along the bank of the river on the other side, a thousand cubits more. And then to try the depth of it, they waded through it the second time and it was up to their knees and continuing on that it, it continued to go up further and further, the, the further they went out. 
Matthew Henry says the waters of the sanctuary are running waters as those of a river, not standing waters as those of a pond. The gospel, when it was first preached, was still spreading further. Grace in the soul is still pressing forward. It is an active principle, plus ultra onward still till it comes to perfection. He says they are increasing waters, this river as it runs constantly, so the further it goes, the fuller it grows. The gospel church was very small in its beginnings, like a little purling brook, but by degrees it came to be to the ankles, to the knees, many were added to it daily, and the grain of mustard seed grew up to be a great tree. The gifts of the Spirit increase by being exercised, and grace, where it is true, is growing, like the light of the morning, which shines more and more to the perfect day. Matthew Henry says it is good for us to follow these waters and to go along with them. Observe the progress of the gospel in the world. Observe the process of the work of the grace in the heart. Attend the motions of the blessed spirit and walk after them under a divine guidance as Ezekiel here did. He says it is good to be often searching into the things of God and trying the depth of them, not only to look on the surface of those waters, but to go to the bottom of them as far as we can, to be often digging, often diving into the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven as those who covet to be intimately acquainted with those things. Now, this is far better than what I wrote. And when he's talking about this, we're seeing that this is about understanding what the word of God says. And by doing so, we are fellowshipping with God in our understanding of the word of God. We are, we are getting to know God more when we are meditating on his word and understanding the deep mysteries of God. And the greatest, the mystery that is talked about in scripture, specifically in the New Testament, is the gospel coming to the Gentiles, to you and I that are not Jewish in natural ancestry. That is a great mystery there. And the mystery of God's grace and mercy and his goodness and his kindness and sending Christ to die on our behalf, to die on the cross and to to fulfill the law. All of these things that are talked about in scripture, these are marvelous things for us to meditate on, to think on, to ponder on, to try to understand the depths more and more of his word. That does not mean that we need to go and try to read something into the scripture that's not there or try to assign it some new hidden secret knowledge or meaning that it never had to begin with. God's word doesn't need our help doing that. We do need to understand what the context of the word is saying, trying to understand better so that way we can apply the word better so that we can know God better in that aspect. We can't know God better when we're adding to the word of God and we're adding to revelation and we're trying to find some hidden secret knowledge in there so that we can feel like that we're growing closer to God when we're really not. I hope that's making sense. But Matthew Henry continues to go on to talk about searching into the things of God and that we shall find some things very plain and easy to be understood as the waters that were but to the ankles, others more difficult and which require a deeper search as the water to the knees or the loins and some quite beyond our reach, which we cannot penetrate into or account for. But despairing to find the bottom, as as uh, Paul did at the brink, and adore the depth. And he's referencing Romans eleven thirty three. He says, it has often been said that in the scripture, like these waters of the sanctuary, there are some places so shallow that a lamb may wade through them, and others so deep that an elephant may swim in them. And it is our wisdom, as the prophet here, to begin with that which is most easy, and get our hearts washed with those things before we proceed to that which is dark and hard to be understood. It is good to take our work before us. And he talks about the the extent of the river. He talks about the healing virtue of the, the river. And it is describing the the great plenty fish that should be in the river. 
and the the trees that were on the banks of the river that were that the that their leaves had the healing in uh, for healing the nations in them. And um, I thought this was interesting. We talked about this. I wanted to touch on it. He said the trees that were on the banks of this river, many trees on the one side and on the other, which made the prospect very pleasant and agreeable to the eye. The shelter of these trees also would be a convenience to the fishery. But that is not all. They are trees for meat, and the fruit of them shall not be consumed, for it shall produce fresh fruit every month. The leaf shall be for medicine, and it shall not fade. This part of the vision is copied out into John's vision very exactly, he says in Revelation 22, verse 2, where on either side of the river it is said to grow the tree of life, which yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves were for the healing of the nations. Christians are supposed to be these trees, he says, ministers especially, trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. He is referencing Isaiah 61.3. Set by the rivers of water, the waters of the sanctuary, grafted into Christ the tree of life, and by virtue of their union with him made trees of life too, rooted in him. Colossians chapter 2 verse 7. Henry says there is a great variety of these trees through the diversity of gifts with which they are endued by that one spirit who works all in all. They grow on the bank of the river, or they keep close to holy ordinances, and through them derive from Christ sap and virtue. They are fruit trees designed as the fig tree and the olive with their fruits to honor God and man. The fruit thereof shall be for meat for the lips of the righteous feed many. The fruits of their righteousness are one way or other beneficial. The very leaves of these trees are for medicine, for bruises and sores, good Christians with their good discourses, which are as their leaves, as well as with their charitable actions, which are as their fruits, do good to those about them. They strengthen the weak and bind up the brokenhearted. Their cheerfulness does good like a medicine, not only to themselves, but to others also. They shall be enabled by the grace of God to persevere in their goodness and usefulness. Their leaf shall not fade or lose its medicinal virtue, having not only life in their root, but sap in all their branches. Their profession shall not wither, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. That is, they shall not lose the principle of their fruitfulness, but shall bring forth fruit in old age to show that the Lord is upright, or the reward of their fruitfulness shall abide forever. They bring forth fruit that shall abound to their account in the great day, fruit to eternal life. That is indeed fruit which shall not be consumed. And so he goes on to finish up talking about through verse 12 about um, the reason for the extraordinary fruitfulness is because their waters issued out of the sanctuary. It is not to be ascribed to anything in themselves, but to the continual supplies of divine grace with which they are watered every moment. For whoever planted them, it was that which gave the increase. I thought that was interesting. I wanted to share that from Matthew Henry because he's focusing on the gospel and, and focusing on uh, developing true fellowship with God and understanding the grace of God, that it comes from Him and the, that the rivers of living water are established from Christ. And so, and, and by the and by the Spirit. And so, I wanted to read that to you and share that because it helps us to get a better understanding of what were some thoughts and interpretations on this passage of Scripture. Now, I wanted to read from one more source, and this was from Ligonier, and I thought this was so helpful. It's a short read. It's called Life Giving Water, and it's a focus on Ezekiel forty-seven verses one through twelve. And this says, if there was any doubt that Ezekiel's temple vision in the last section of his book is meant to be taken symbolically and not as a literal. Dep- depiction of a building to be constructed at the end of time, today's passage convinces us that prophet's vision emphasizes spiritual realities to come. The description of the river that flows forth from the eschatological end times temple reveals a renewed creation that will result when the Lord consummates his plan. 
Ezekiel sees water issuing from below the threshold of the temple. Most English translations do not reflect very well what the prophet actually describes. The Hebrew term translated with the English word issuing actually conveys a trickling. Just a minor amount of water is trickling down and out of the south side of the temple. Since only a trickle originates from the temple, at first it seems as if this water cannot do much for the land. However, as the water exits the temple's south side and heads east, dramatic things begin to happen. First, this trickle turns into a river that becomes progressively deeper. Ezekiel is led through the water, which goes from ankle depth to a river so vast that the only way to pass through the water is to swim. What makes this more remarkable is that the quantity of the water comes only from the trickle of water flowing out of the temple. No additional tributaries that feed the deepening river are mentioned. Now, here, this, this is where I thought it was getting even more interesting. It says, geographically, the route that the river takes is impossible. It flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea, in verse 8. The sea is the Dead Sea, and to get there from Jerusalem via the route Ezekiel describes, it would have to flow down to the Kidron Valley, up over the Mount of Olives, and then cross through a series of other valleys and mountain ranges. Gravity and other forces and pressures make this impossible for an ordinary river, but this is no ordinary river, and that is further confirmed by what happens when the river reaches the Dead Sea. The salinity of the Dead Sea is so great that nothing lives in it. But when the river from the temple reaches it, the water is instantly transformed and can support fish of very many kinds. Fruit trees line the river that flows through what was a desert in Ezekiel's era and remains so today. The vision conveys the abundant life that results from Israel's restoration from exile. God's life-giving power will not be confined to the temple, but will issue forth to renew all things. Rivers of living water will restore life permanently to his people. And they shared this at the end. Today's study is probably one of the texts Jesus had in mind when he discussed regeneration with Nicodemus in John 3. In the new covenant that follows the exile of Israel, the Spirit gives life unparalleled in its abundance. This life is from Christ alone and begins imperceptibly in the individual's heart. But over time, the life deepens and grows so that via the ministry of his church, God reaches his elect. When the elect are all redeemed, the Lord will renew the whole world. So we can see a few different perspectives here on Ezekiel 47. And so again, I wanted to share that with you because I thought that was better <laughs> than, than what I had actually written that I thought was so profound. And I wanted to finish reading this, uh, this terrible prophetic word to you about the glorious intimacy of the deep that I said. So this is where I began to go on and you, and you heard in the beginning when I shared the clip that was in the broadcast uh, about this. I said in the blog post, there is a call going forth for the body of Christ to go to the deep. Where is the deep? <laughs> That's where, again, I'm going to ask that question and never get an answer. Where is the deep? What does that even mean? Pseudo profundities. Ezekiel 47 is a prophetic picture, I said, of what awaits in the deeper waters. No, it actually isn't. I mean, that's not what that, that's so, again, so vague. This is not a prophetic word. It has nothing to do with any of this. I have not explained anything about Ezekiel 47 to, to help you and your understanding, to help me and my understanding, to help us to glorify Christ. How does this glorify Christ? How does this glorify God? How does this draw us draw closer to God? Or is this drawing us closer to mysticism and to Gnosticism? I said, a mighty harvest of salvations await as we become fishers of men. And there's nothing wrong with wanting a, a harvest of salvation and, and uh, 
revival in the sense that we want to see people come to Christ. We want to see dead men come to life spiritually and dead men and women come to life spiritually. We want to see people come to Christ. There's nothing wrong with that. But again, this is very mystical talk. Facets of God await us. And as we plunge deeper and deeper into his presence, we see another facet of him that we had not seen before. God wants us to come to the deep because he wants to be in the garden with us. He says, the secret place is a deep garden in him. It is that place where we abide in him, the living water. And when we do, the fruit of his spirit comes forth. And I attributed Galatians 5, through 24 to this. It is that place where leaves once used to cover shame and sin are now thriving as leaves of healing. And then I said, I sense the waters churning as he stirs the desire in us to dwell in the depths of him. The invitation is being given to the body of Christ in this hour. It is a rumble in the deep, a sound that is mysterious to those not recognizing the voice of many waters. My goodness, what? I just, (laughs) sometimes I can't handle my own writing that was in the past. It it really, I, I apologize for anybody who took stock in the things I said, because this is not helpful in any sense of the word. This is just, again, it's just vague in general, it's not helping to establish spiritual maturity in any way, shape, or fashion. I said, it is that drawing to leave the comfortable behind and to come after him, to venture out into the deep despite the personal cost or the time necessary to explore his depths. It is a place where we cannot pass through because we get lost in him. Who in their right mind walks a mile out into the width of a river, not knowing how wide the river runs or how deep it goes? Only the thirsty and the radical would do such a thing. And that's where it ended. And I wish it would have ended without ever having written that, but here we are. So it's a little bit different episode today. From time to time, I like to cover these. And what I'm finding in my old writings is that they are not meaty and they're not biblical. They're not pointing back to the truth of the word of God. And if anything, they're pointing back to me having some sort of mystical encounter, thinking that I'm hearing the voice of God, thinking that I'm encouraging further intimacy with Christ when really it's not glorifying Christ, when we're not presenting what um, what scripture is is pointing to when we're not presenting the context of the scripture, we're not presenting the the proper biblical application and how we can truly grow in our fellowship with God as believers and how we can grow in spiritual maturity when that's not truly being presented and there's a different message being presented, then that's problematic. And, in, and that's not glorifying God when we're taking away from the essence of the true meaning of the, of the passage and what it's pointing to. We're not trying to understand it more and be a student of the word of God. Then it really is not glorifying God. It's not exalting God. And it's not promoting proper biblical fellowship. And this is why I like to talk about these things because I want to I want to point out the error that I used to walk in and be honest and, and upfront about that. And I also want to encourage you all to continue to be students of the word. And when you hear people that are claiming to hear the voice of God for themselves and they are espousing these words and saying God told them something, you need to be testing them. Testing what someone says and they're ascribing God's name to it is okay. It's not only okay, it's biblical. We are charged in scripture to test everything. And this is not a prophetic word. So this is not me despising prophecy. 
this is me testing what that this is from the Lord and I'm finding this wanting. This is not from God. This is just vague words that I'm spouting off from probably my own imagination or my own desires to want to grow deeper in my fellowship with God and really not growing at that time in my fellowship with God because I was spouting off all these mystical platitudes and spouting off all of this stuff that had nothing to do with really understanding Ezekiel 47. And I, again, I appreciate the commentaries that I read today. And I encourage you to look at other commentaries try and to get more helpful understanding of this. Use this as an example in growing in your understanding of Scripture and understanding that what Scripture has to say. But realize this is that you don't need to read some further prophetic meaning into the passage of Scripture and trying to hear the voice of God for yourself. Scripture is sufficient in helping us to understand the beauty and the majesty of who God is. And as we're heading into this new year, first of all, I hope that you guys had a Merry Christmas. And secondly, I hope that you have a blessed new year. And I want to encourage you in this new year to be a student of the Word to be diligent, make a, make a, um, a commitment that you're going to read the Bible through in a year, whether it's the Old Testament, New Testament, or both together. You can find reading plans. If you want to know of one, I can guide you to one that's free that you can, it, you can read the Bible in a year. You can read both Old and New Testament, or you can read one or the other. But I would encourage you, make a commitment this year that you are going to read the Bible in a year if you haven't already, and that you're going to stay in the Word daily. You're going to continue to meditate on God's Word, and that you are going to uh, remain a student of God's Word so that you aren't blown around by every wind of doctrine that could come through. The other things I want to encourage you in is be willing to engage in conversations with others that are uh, more seasoned than you in biblical understanding and be willing to be teachable, be willing to ask questions, be willing to be a good Berean and to test things and to, to be loving about it when you do it, but also be firm in your convictions when you know that scripture says something that it says. One other thing I would encourage you with this, as I've seen things recently that are transpiring with people that are online that are social media influencers, and I consider myself a social media influencer. We need to remember as social media influencers, or if we're not, we need to remember we're not pastors. We need to remember that pastors and elders in our church should be the ones that we go to if we're needing solid biblical counsel. And so as a sister in Christ, I am here as someone who came out of this movement. I'm not a pastor, obviously, for different reasons that I could tell you. But I am not a pastor. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I belong to a local church. I'm submitted to the pastors and to the elders there, to the leadership, and want to uh, remain teachable and be under um, their leadership. And I also want to be a disciple of Christ and a wife and a mother and a, a fellow sister in Christ to other sisters in Christ to help them if they're coming out of this movement and to guide back to scripture and to help if I need to, to find you a good, solid, biblically sound church to attend because you need to be seeking counsel from your pastor. If you have other sisters in Christ you can talk to, that's that's good. That's one thing. I'm not saying don't talk to other sisters in Christ, but what I am saying is this. If you have a pressing matter where you are considering walking away from Christianity or you are confused by other social media influencers that are trying to um, perpetuate doctrine that is confusing and it is causing major problems, then you need to go to your pastors and your elders and talk to them. That is not the job of a social media influencer to be your pastor. 
and to counsel you on significant matters like that, that really could make or break your understanding of true biblical Christianity. I don't want to discourage you from reaching out even to me. And if you need have a prayer request or something that you reach out and, and seek prayer and ask questions. But ultimately, I'm also going to guide you back to uh, your pastor or to someone that is a pastor that can give you solid biblical counsel if it's a more pressing matter. And that way we have good, solid biblical teaching and we have good shepherds that are guarding the flock and that we're all functioning in the body the way that we're supposed to. And As always, I hope that you do find these episodes helpful and that you are in a good, solid, biblically sound church where you can ask the leadership questions and that you are getting solid biblical teaching and that this is merely a supplement. I am not the main source of where you're getting your doctrine from, but that these episodes and the blog posts are always supplements. And certainly if there's ever anything I say that's questionable, please feel free to message me and to ask questions. I want to be held accountable for the things that I say. And unfortunately, in this movement, I was not held accountable for the things that I said. And so I want to publicly, again, apologize for those that would have taken stock in these words that I released, thinking that they were from God. These are not from God. They're not glorifying God. They're glorifying mysticism and Gnosticism. And I would encourage you not to take any stock in them or any things that I said several years ago that I published and then were on charisma and other things. I would actually uh, advise you to avoid reading charisma and those other outlets because all they're doing is perpetuating more of this nonsense, more of this type of teaching that is 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 not pointing back to the truth of God's word. So I hope that this has been helpful. And I hope again that you have a blessed new year and that you are going to commit to studying the word of God, to asking questions, to being a good Berean, to growing in, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, growing in spiritual maturity. And as always, that we are sharpening each other as iron sharpens iron and that we are submitting ourselves to godly leadership so that way we can continue to be accountable and to grow in spiritual maturity. Be blessed today by the truth of God's word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesubscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.